0: Been Two Point Drafts. Austin Gale here, as always, with my guy, Mike Grenner. have a loaded podcast on the books here today. We're going to talk about some standout rookies in training camp per training camp videos, which no one can <laughs> get enough of right now. But also, beat reporters saying you have certain players running with the ones, getting a lot of usage early in camp. I flock to that news, so I want to bring up some rookies. Henry Ruggs, uh, Brian Edwards, CeeDee Lamb, Cameron Dancer, with a handful of highlight plays. And we're also going to interview Dane Brugler, of the Athletic talk about his top 50 a friend of the podcast guy who is an elite mind in the space one of my favorites to read every year about each draft class and then we're also going to do biggest takeaways from PFF's preseason 2021 NFL draft guide which we are giving away to those that rate and review the podcast we if you rate and review the podcast and leave your email with a space between the at symbol we're going to send out 10 draft guides. You'll have a chance to win one of those. I, I'm, I'm excited for this pod, Mike. It's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah. I, I'm still laughing about you saying an elite mind in this space.
0: Elite mind in this space is <laughs> this a is bit it weird.
1: crazy? I'm going to have to bring that up to Dane in the interview. Do you think he's
0: an elite mind in this space?
1: I, I do. But <laughs> uh, the thing about Dane that I love is he puts in more work than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Quite obviously. With, Way more than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck, that's not hard. But no, he, he really does. And you can tell like he knows these guys inside and out. You could tell when a guy's bullshitting you, talking about a prospect, and that's never Dane. So I respect the hell out of what
0: I mean, are. I respect him to the point where I say he's an elite, mind, elite mind in the space. So, uh, but before we bring Dane on, let's go ahead and talk these rookies. First, two I want to bring up actually: Dallas Cowboys. See some beat reporters saying it shouldn't surprise you, but CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs are easily the two best rookies at camp. Which sometimes other teams aren't having that. You know, there are some first rounders that aren't living up to expectation, while UDFA's and and day three picks are actually shining bright. How much of an impact do you think CeeDee Lamb and Trayvon Diggs have on this Dallas Cowboys team that is in a position to be competitive, that's in a position to potentially make a deep playoff run with Dak Prescott under center?
1: Yeah, I mean, we called it at the time of the draft. We said there was an absolute coup for them to get those mm-hmm. two where they did. 17th overall for CeeDee Lamb was absurd. guy was top 10 talent in the draft. And then Trayvon Diggs we saw as a borderline first-round talent to get him in the middle of the second round at a position that massive need for them after losing Byron Jones. Called it then, and to me, it's no surprise that uh, CeeDee Lamb, you knew, was going to hit the ground running. That guy, he had it already. Trayvon Diggs, there were concerns like on his tape, like he got just manhandled by Jamar Chase. What is he going to do against more physical NFL wide receivers? But he has an NFL skill. like Him getting manhandled by Jamar Chase, I think, it was like a wake-up call for him in terms of he's physical enough that that should not be happening and that I think you're not going to see that at the NFL level. Uh, And he was one year removed from a serious injury. And I think that often, you know, oftentimes you'll make that excuse for guys in the NFL. I feel like we rarely make that excuse for prospects to where it's like, oh, this is his first year back from an injury. It's the next year where he's going to turn it on. A lot of times we don't like say that about a prospect that he missed all the season before. And I think you're seeing some of that with Trayvon Diggs.
0: I am super excited, obviously for Trayvon Diggs, but also CeeDee Lamb in this receiving core when Amari Cooper is getting a ton of attention. When Michael Gallup is working off what was a career year, I think CeeDee Lamb, he's not going to be a forgotten piece in this offense, but likely working a ton from the slot. And Amari Cooper will get in there as well. But I think there's going to be a chance that CeeDee Lamb is going against bad cornerbacks in the NFL and dominating because he was one of the more polished prospects coming out.
1: I'll say this is how you want to build a receiving core, is three guys that... Any no, not there's not one that's a slot receiver, there's not one that's an outside receiver, there's not one that has to be pigeonholed into X role. Mm-hmm. They have to they can go wherever they want at any given time. They're all versatile body types that can win in a number of different ways. That's just that's scary. for' it's like it's basically pick your poison, you play man coverage against them. Dak Prescott's like, where's my weak link? Where's my you know, where's my weakest corner? Attack that guy. And and I think that's that's kind of what Mike McCarthy had early. You know, 2011 Packers when they had Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, James Jones, where it's just all four of those guys go pretty much anywhere and win. I think you're going to see a monster year from this Cowboys offense.
0: Another receiver I want to bring up, a rookie that's you know standing out in training camp and now has a ton of opportunity with Tyrell Williams battling what was a, a torn labrum in surgery there, is Brian Edwards, a guy that you wrote a piece on for PFF.com saying, temper expectations for Brian Edwards coming out of South Carolina. We were not... Super high on Brian Edwards coming out. Danny Kelly liked him. There's a ton of people in the draft space, specifically the fantasy community, that really did like Brian Edwards. He had a good Dominator rating, a good breakout age. But... What are your reservations with Brian Edwards? Because if I'm reading the timeline, this guy looks like the second coming of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it, it's hard to see, you know, well, it, it's hard to see through all that positivity why there might be some reservations.
1: To be fair, he's going up against the Raiders' corners. That's obviously going to make you look better. <laughs> I mean, like to some degree that does. But uh, my reservations about him coming out were getting off the line of scrimmage consistently. He had one hesitation move. And it wasn't that special of a move. Now he wins with physicality more. It is his game. To me, I think he can be a solid, above-average possession-type receiver, but it was just winning down the football field. Anything, Any route breaking more than 12 yards down the field was just unimpressive, in my opinion. That's why I just didn't think. And that's where, again, we value the guys who can do it after the catch who are dynamic in that regard and the guys who can do it down the football field. The possession stuff, that sort of thing, not nearly as high on those guys. But I, I think if... That's the role he's playing in that offense. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks good in that side I, of I'm role. not,
0: I'm convinced that he'll have a handful of, of, you know, star contested catches on tape this year. I'm not convinced that he won't have a ton of targets with Derek Carr. However, winning the valuable routes, separating on the valuable routes downfield against elite cornerbacks in the NFL, fast, athletic cornerbacks in the NFL, I'm not buying it. I don't see him being a good separator downfield in the NFL. And if you can't do that, I'm not going to buy into you being a good you know, uh, wide receiver one type.
1: It's funny. Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards both looking good in camp. You know Derek Carr is going to give... Darren Waller. Darren Waller over 100 targets. And he's going to give, gosh... um, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro over 100 targets also just because that's Derek Carr.
0: They're going to be running a more shallow route (laughs) tree. Two running backs I want to bring up. Cam Akers for the Los Angeles Rams and Antonio Gibson for the Washington football team. Both running with the ones right now. We liked... Both of these guys. You yeah. highlighted Cam Akers as a guy yeah. that will outplay his draft position. Antonio Gibson, who ran with the wide receivers and ran a four three nine, and everyone forgets about it. But it's up there with Jonathan Taylor in terms of athleticism. I think, again, hitting on skill players, so you might as well talk about the fantasy aspect. If these guys get touches, I think they can be more efficient than maybe they were at the collegiate level. Well, not Antonio Akers. Gibson. Antonio Gibson was one of the most efficient yeah. running backs or no skill way. players in college football yeah. playing at Memphis. Forced, his missed tackle rate is absurd. I, I think both of these
1: guys, though— I, I'm excited to see what they do in year one. Gibson and Akers were probably in the draft, the two most dynamic running backs with the ball in their hands. Like they were the most difficult running backs to tackle if you're one-on-one with them in space, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that they're looking good right away. That that is a skill that we've said again and again, translates to the NFL. If you can break tackles at a high level in college, chances are you're going to do in the NFL also. Uh, And Akers to me, he's a better running back prospect than Daryl Henderson was coming out for sure. The biggest thing with him was just vision and uh, it was difficult to evaluate with him behind that awful, awful Florida state offensive line. Now he might not be getting much, much better blocking with the Rams this year. Oh, yeah. with what They got in the interior, but him looking like the running back one, there's not surprise.
0: All right. One more or two more offensive players I want to bring up before we dive on defense here. It's KJ Hamler who ran a pretty sweet blaze out before getting injured in camp. Mm. And then Jerry Judy, has been hasn't had a flashy highlight hit my timeline yet, but I've consistently hear one of the better receivers in camp, one of the better receivers in camp. And I think both those guys, as much as we had our, our tempering expectations for Drew Locke compared to the Denver Broncos stands, yeah. I, I still think there is so much weaponry there in Denver that Hamler and Judy could have legitimate volume, legitimate targets, and see success on those targets in 2020.
1: Yeah, Judy. This should surprise no one. The the way that guy ran routes in college was the most, it's probably the most advanced I've seen, I I don't know, since Mark Cooper and like probably more than that. Mark Cooper is just bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, He just, the dude has a different way of getting open than anyone, like I said, anyone I've ever seen. He just moves in a ridiculous, ridiculous way, the way he just can contort his lower body and sink his hips throughout his routes. Uh, so that should come as no surprise. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he you know out Cortland Sutton year one. Like he's just that. Good. Wow, that's a uh, hot take. That, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I thought Denver, that. you know, the Denver fans like Judy and Hamler, they love Cortland Sutton. Oh, yeah. Don't throw any if slander yeah, on that guy. It's not slander, Sutton. That's
1: just Judy's that good. <laughs> if Judy out outperforms Sutton, like, I think he in could be Odell Beckham year one. You know, Odell Beckham was what, over a hundred yards a game as a rookie, and even though he played like twelve games or was close to that, Jerry's mm-hmm. Judy, I think was just as talented.
0: High praise. All right, let's bring up Cameron Dansler, Minnesota Vikings. Justin Jefferson apparently is running with the twos more often than he is running with ones, but Dancer, on the other hand, is taking advantage of opportunity in Minnesota camp, standing out quite a bit. We always said... The tape was good. The, the The tape was good. Then you had like he ran like a four two forty on his friend's phone, but like a four six forty at the scouting combine. There were concerns. Well, it was with like his- a four
1: or five if you just actually like timed it for real. <laughs> there, there
0: was there were concerns with um his arm length, concerns yeah. with his weight, and then concerns with his athleticism. But when you actually turn on the tape, you see him do it against Jamar Chase. You see him do it against some of the top receivers in the SEC. And I think playing in Mike Zimmer's scheme, he'll have. More opportunities for success than some of these other corners. I think Dantzler will be a guy that shows up big for Minnesota. Yeah, it was a
1: good scheme fit, and he's already him list- and
0: Gladney were both good scheme fits. Yeah. Zimmer
1: knows what he's doing over there, and he's already listed at 188, which beef uh, season. Up. Yeah, like he was <laughs> what like he looked like 175 on his college tape. So I, I think like he wasn't he wasn't just a, a combine overthink to a an egregious degree to go all the way to the third round. This guy was a his tape was borderline first round. Uh, obviously. You'd rather draft a guy who doesn't run a four six in the first round, but I do think a lot of that was form based. Like he was, His it was one of the start. Ugliest. the start was it was ugly. one of the ugliest forties you know I saw all uh, spring. So I, I will say I, I think he's going to be good. I, I have a piece coming out uh, this week about the top top ten bold predictions for the rookie class. Cameron Dantzler, I think, is going to be the top three graded cornerbacks. I wrote that in the piece. So.
0: Oh, wow. There uh, we go. Rookie, like top three that. graded
1: rookie cornerbacks.
0: Last thing here before we jump to the uh, Dame Brugler interview, we have Grant Delpit. Pull one out segment. We haven't done a pull one out segment in a while. That's Since a segment uh, near and dear to two for one drafts where we pour one out for someone who just hasn't performed well, suffered a big injury, whatever it may happen. Grant Delpit going to miss this upcoming season due to an injury. That is super unfortunate. Um I, I thought i thought he had a real chance to be really good for the browns i thought the browns draft was very good th- th- this hurts
1: yeah that he was supposed i mean he was starting he was running with the ones I, I thought he was one of the steals of the draft in the second round A torn achilles to start your career though is really putting you behind the eight ball because that's not a it's no easy injury to come back for for a guy that has to cover ground like a safety does so that's important. I, I, I
0: don't even know what you do. Like, what do you work on as a rookie with a torn Achilles? Oh sure. man, you, behind the eight ball is an understatement, in my opinion. I
1: will say Andrew Barry. Then the the coup grabbing Curtis Weaver off a of waiver before
0: the Dolphins can put him on from the, the reserve Dolphins
1: was a that was a play that that's, I can't believe the Dolphins would be so callous. They traded up to get him. They traded two draft picks to go get him, and then just flush it down the drain after one week of camp. That seems a little they're playing with fire there, and I think they got burnt.
0: I with Curtis, we were too, I, I think, didn't have a great body. I, I think there were probably reasons like – Don't love his weight at this right now. He's got the injury reason to kind of wave and put him on the injured reserve. But I want to go back to Andrew Barry's draft a little bit because it was a PFF heavy draft. Jedrick Wills was a guy we really liked at 10. Grant Delpit was one of the what we thought was a steal in round two. Then they grabbed Jordan Jordan. Elliott, the highest graded interior defensive lineman in college football that past year. And then after that, Nick Harris was a guy that graded well at Washington. But then picking up Curtis Weaver now, another PFF favorite, a guy we valued more than the consensus. I'm impressed with uh, Andrew Barry diving into the analytics and seeing that these numbers I'm
1: saying, I think people were just a year early on the Browns. I think this, I think they're they're gonna be good this year.
0: A year early on the Browns. All right, for that, with that, let's go ahead and pivot and bring on Dane to two for one drafts joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is none other than Dane Brugler of The Athletic, a guy that we love having on the pod. Before we brought you on, I have to bring this up before Mike buries me for it. I said you are an elite mind in the space, which sounds weird as hell. And I, I, I regret phrasing it that way, but I do think you are one of the better, if not the best draft analysts, better than this guy across from me. And I always, I always encourage everyone to read your stuff, and I read your stuff all the time. So
2: it's really an honor to have you on the pod. Well, I appreciate that. And just another example, how we overuse the word elite uh, (laughs) in in, in the draft process. But no, I, I do appreciate that elite
0: mind in the space i'm going to keep that one near and dear might have to put that in your twitter bio dane let's go ahead and kick this off you recently dropped on the athletic which I, I say this every time we talk to someone from the athletic go subscribe to the athletic they you know they employ some of the best writers some of the most elite minds in the space that there is in in sports including baseball basketball across the board so subscribe to the athletic to read dane Bruegler's latest top 50 um talk to me about what this, you know, how did you value not knowing what the season's going to look like with these players, you know, because that's tough. There's guys that like Jason Oway, like Quiddy Pay, Aiden Hutchinson, Chris Olave, guys that aren't going to have tape, likely won't have tape before the draft. How much did that weigh into putting this top 50 together, knowing that you're not going to maybe see Sean Wade play again, knowing that you're not going to see some of these guys that have a lot to prove play again? I- I'm interested in how that affected your approach to this top 50.
2: Yeah, and it's tough because obviously this is unprecedented—a um, situation like this. And you know, in the past, we've seen where a, a player will miss his final year, whether it's a Nick Bosa or you know, even going back to Sam Bradford. And you know, you have to just have to figure it out. But to have entire conferences not being able to play—and this is a really strong year for the Big Ten—in uh, my uh, in terms of uh, prospects and in my top fifty, I actually had fifteen Big Ten players. Which is one more than the SEC had. So, it is a really strong group of players. Penn State's well represented. Ohio State, obviously. Uh, I think Michigan had three players, but a lot of these guys are still somewhat unproven. Um, you know, you brought up uh, Sean Wade, who's uh, you know he, he's really tough because we saw what he did last year as an inside receiver, and I actually think he's going to be better outside because he's not a sudden athlete, but he's a good athlete. Uh, he's very physical. Um, I think he has ball skills and I think outside's probably his best uh, cornerback position at the next level, but we just don't have uh, much of a sample size uh, to evaluate him as an outside corner. So that makes it a really tough evaluation. Uh, Now, how does that work out in terms of value on draft day? And when you do an exercise like this, how do you uh, figure out where to put him. It makes it tough. Um, you know, Rondale Moore, uh, another guy who had maybe the best freshman season we've ever seen at the receiver yep. position and then plays four games last year, which he was basically hurt. Uh, and then obviously not going to play this year. So uh, another example of, okay, well, what, uh, what do you do with a player like this? Who's five nine, one eighty, but just a sick athlete. And, uh, you know, he, is he a slot only guy? Can he win consistently down the field? Uh, you know, there's, uh, we're left with a lot of questions. And so I think that will be the, uh, the common theme of this draft process is it, we're going to be left with probably more questions than answers with several of these players. And it's just up to us, uh, individually as evaluators to try to connect the dots, uh, even though we don't have all the information and all of the, uh, inf- all the information to, to connect those dots. So it, it's going to be tougher, uh, but I think it's going to make it really interesting.
1: So I'm of the opinion that the big 10, some of these teams will find a way to play football this fall. Like the Ohio States, the world, Michigan, they're going to they find a way to play some games despite the big 10, not wanting to, do you think this two prong question, I guess. Do you think that's a possibility? Do you agree with my take there? And do you think that if there's not, Big Ten football, Pac-12 football, a lot of these conferences cancel, that the NFL will find their own way to get more tape on these guys in terms of maybe a longer combine, longer senior bowl, or something like that.
2: Yeah, well, I, I love that you're thinking about that um, because I, I'm hoping we see uh, some of these players on the field again. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not, okay, throw in the towel, that's it. Um, you know, I'm talking to people, uh, you know, my different contacts at these, at these different programs, a lot of them haven't given up. Um, a lot of them haven't said, okay, well, let's turn the page and, uh, you know, just, you know, look, that's it, that's it. Um, they're, they're not giving up because they know how much this means to a lot of these players. Uh, I would be surprised if we see, uh, you know, Ohio state play Penn state play, just because there's, I don't think the big 10 would allow it. And there's too much money on the line. I mean, each one of these programs gets like over fifty million dollars from the Big Ten, based off the TV contracts. So if they play going against the Big Ten, th- their rulings, then you know I think there's going to be a breach of contract there, and money's involved. And obviously, Ohio State can do whatever they want. You know, they they are the king of that conference, and they don't necessarily need a, the Big Ten to tell them what to do because the Big Ten can. Uh, you know, do what they want, or the Ohio State can do what they want. But I I would still be surprised if we see them now. The second part of that, that's where I think things could really get interesting if we have fall pro days or uh, some type of, uh, you know, seven-on-seven type of uh, situation where we still get to see these guys in a football environment. It's not necessarily just workouts where, you know, agility testing and things like that. We get to see them actually – on the football field and doing football, similar things. Um, And, you know, the senior bowl traditionally has only been for seniors and for uh, select registered juniors. And so will the NFL be more open to involving underclassmen this year? Um, And it's, there's just so much on the table right now, a lot to figure out. Uh, Will a spring season happen? I, I don't think it'll happen. I think there's just too much going on, but a lot of these coaches think that it will. So Uh, And then how will the NFL react to that? Will they push back the NFL draft calendar at all? Uh, Will they move the senior bowl back a little bit? Will they move the combine, whatever the combine is going to look like this year? I don't think anybody knows. Will they move that back a little bit? So the NFL draft calendar itself is going to be really interesting, Uh, but I'm with you. I'm hopefully we see these guys, you know, I don't know if we'll see Michael Parsons on the field. You know, he seems, uh, you know, dead set on opting out of anything, but hopefully we we get a chance to see him. I'd love to see Justin Fields, the field again and I think we need it as part of his evaluation he looked great last year first year in the in the program running Ryan Day's offense but I came away when I watched Justin Fields tape I was I was more impressed with Ryan Day than it was Justin Fields and that's not a knock offense is insane it's it's remarkable and I think you know it, it speaks more to Ryan Day than anything but I still want to see more from Justin Fields at the college level. And hopefully we get that opportunity.
0: Two things there. One, uh, an analyst with PFF here, Seth Galina talked about just how that offense puts, you know, Justin Fields in such a position to succeed. And yes, he take it, takes advantage of those opportunities. Ryan Day is presenting him. But again, that offense is just truly incredible too. I would Die for some seven on seven between the Pac 12 and Big Ten, or some one on one pass rush opportunities on ESPN or wherever it may be in the fall. Because I think that would be huge. Seeing some of those reps for these players would be big. I wanted to bring up a specific player on your top 50. You have Patrick Sertan, the Alabama cornerback, 6'2, 205, at number three, number three on your top 50 board. And I think I see a lot, and this isn't just helmet scouting, but I do see. A lot of similarities between Sertan and Trayvon Diggs. So I'd love for you to, one, talk about your infatuation with Sertan and what he can do at the next level, and two, compare him to Trayvon Diggs who went in you know, the second round to the Dallas Cowboys this past year.
2: Well, I, with uh, Sertan, I think if you're going to draw up a corner, I think he has a lot of what you're looking for. Uh, you know, He has length. He has speed. I mean, he's not a four-three-zero 0 guy, but he's going to run in the 4-4s. Uh, he's very instinctive. Uh, I think you can throw on the tape and see him play man. You can see him play zone. You can see him play press. You can see him play off. You can see him play inside. You can see him play outside. He's done it all. Uh, Former five-star guy, obviously the son of a former all-pro NFL corner uh, who also coached him uh, at American Heritage. So he's been groomed for this for a long time. He's a five-star recruit, goes to Alabama, and he starts right away as a true freshman. So I think that he was—he's been groomed for this for a long time, and you see him get better and better with each game. You throw in the LSU tape from last year. Jamar Chase had a uh, pretty good game, but when he went up against Sertain, he—he he, he did not find as much success as he did against Diggs. Um, and Diggs, you know, a really toolsy player with his speed, his his size, uh, former receiver, so you know he had the ball skills. But I didn't. Think he was on certain's level with his technique, with his uh, instincts, um, and so I, I think that if Sertain was in last year's draft, I think there would have been a really good discussion: who's the cornerback number one in last year's class? Is it uh, Jeff Okuda or is it Sertain? And I, I think that would have been an interesting debate that would have—I don't—I think would have been split across the league. I'm really high on this player and. Uh, yeah, he's my top defensive, uh, player on my top 50, uh, just ahead of, you know, Micah Parsons and, and a few other guys, but he's, I think he's the real deal. So Dana, I think
1: it's clear that you have a type when it comes to the secondary and it's not small guys. You're, you're basically that girl on Tinder who says six <laughs> footer up or don't message me that you're that I ran into of, a few of those, actually, <laughs> but because two of my favorite defensive backs in this class, Memphis is TJ Carter the cornerback from TCU safety are darius washington they did not make your cornerback and safety top tens respectively tell me tell me what your thoughts about how much length does matter in terms of cornerback and safety play and i guess it's your thoughts on carter and washington there
2: yeah and it's i think in the secondary length is is big there's no question um for me and you know you look at my My top three ranked corners this year, um, you know, Sertain is over six foot. Caleb Farley, who I know you guys like as well. He's uh, 6'1", 6'2". You know, Sean Wade, he's pushing 6'1". Darion Kendrick from Clemson, he's over six foot. Uh, And so I I really do prefer length at the position. And, you know, I I don't know. When you talk about The safety position, I think that's where maybe you can give a little bit more. I mean, we we just saw Buda Baker this week get uh, one of the richest contracts in NFL history uh, for a defensive back. And the big question with him out of uh, coming out of that draft class was size. We knew he uh, could fly around the field, but how much was the size going to play a factor and what kind of pro he was going to be. So with our Darius Washington, you're talking about a guy that is, is undersized. Uh, you know, he's going to be 5'8 and a half, maybe 5'9". Um, I don't think he's on the has the same physical profile as uh, his, his safety teammate, Maureen. Um But he, you know, you look at the production last year, you look at what he was able to do, and you see a quality player. So he, he is going to be a difficult evaluation. And I'm, 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 hopefully we get to see a full season from him this year. Um, as of now you know TCU plans on playing that full season and with Carter you know I another guy that is you know 59 um I saw a guy that's probably going to run in the 45s I didn't see a speedster um in the lack of length and and right right there I mean that that is <laughs> working against him and so he better be above well above average with Uh, The ball skills uh, with his ability to uh, pattern match uh, from press, uh, his ability to play inside outside. And I I do like him, but not as much as you guys have him rated. And it it just comes down to the size, the physical profile um, and not being able to uh, just get all the way there because of some of the physical limitations that I've seen.
0: Yeah, Carter is not a toolsy, traits-focused player, that's for damn sure. I'm going back to Bama with you here, Dane, and I want to talk about Jalen Waddell, who you have ranked highly on your top 50, and a guy that Mike and I, when we were in the summer you know, watching for our top 50, was a guy that popped off the tape, a guy that we immediately said, is this guy better than Henry Ruggs? I, I think he's he has better twitch, you know, quick twitch muscles, he moves better, he's more jittery than Henry Ruggs and that will allow for him in a more a higher volume role, I think outproduce what Henry Ruggs did at Alabama. Again, compare these prospects for me. Your opinion on Waddle and, and the differences or yeah, the difference between him and Ruggs, is he potentially a better prospect than the number 10 overall pick in 2020?
2: Well, and I think there'll be an interesting um, conversation uh, throughout the process. Who's wide receiver two? You know, I think most people would agree, Jamar Chase from LSU, uh, he's going to be the first receiver off the board, but then there's kind of a a mix of some talented receivers uh, duking it out for that number two spot. Could it be, uh, you know, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, who's obviously a different type of receiver, Uh, you know, Rondell Moore, uh, Devontae Smith. I mean, this is another really good receiver class, Jalen Waddle would be my guess. Uh, you, you asked me right now in August, eight months before the draft, who's going to be that number two receiver. My guess would be Jalen Waddle because of, you know, some of those things that you mentioned. He's just a special athlete, a, a very natural catch and go guy. Uh, and that's what we saw with Henry Ruggs, who wasn't the most polished receiver, but he's so special as an athlete that the Raiders were going to take a chance on him that high. And so with Jalen Waddle you have some similar things and he he's probably been a, a better performer on special teams than offense to this point. Uh, and, you know, I think it's part of that is because there are so many mouths to feed in that Alabama offense with Judy and rugs and Smith, but now with, uh, you know, Judy and, and rugs and the NFL Waddle's going to have a chance to step up and be more of a, a an impact guy on offense. And so I want to see him, Uh, just be a more detailed route runner, adds a little more nuance uh, to what he does uh, in terms of setting up defensive backs, creating his own space. We know what he can do with the ball in his hands. Three special teams uh, touchdowns over his career. He averaged something crazy like 24 yards uh, per punt return last year, which is just ridiculous. Uh, He was an SEC special teams player of the year. So short area burst, the top end speed, a very, very gifted athlete. What can he do on offense in terms of developing and becoming a more well-rounded receiver? That's what I want to see from him this year. But if you had to tell me to guess right now who's going to be that second receiver off the board, I think Waddle would be my guess.
1: I, I kind of want to ask the same question about the edge class. I think everyone pretty much has Greg Rousseau penciled in as the number one edge. But the, the two guys after him for a lot of people, Jason Owe, Pay, looks like they're not going to be playing this fall. Where do they end up going and who ends up being edge to?
2: Yeah, great question. I think a couple of really good players who it's just, it's just a shame we won't be able to see them uh, this year. And I, I think two players that, um, you know, they're one's obviously older. Pay's a senior. We're always, a, 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 you know, an underclassman. And so we've seen more of Pay, um, but still you, we wanted to see more of him. Only six and a half sacks last year. Obviously, I think he's a much better player than just that number. Um, we see a twitched up athlete, a guy that can put pressure on the pocket. You throw up uh, that Iowa tape and, uh, I mean, you see a first round player, uh, when you watch Quiddy pay, but still a guy that's still growing into his body, figuring out, uh, the position. Uh, he was number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, and according to that article, he ran a six three seven three three cone, which is sure. just. What? <laughs> I mean, what, you look at some of the pass rushers in the NFL. Vaughn Miller ran one of the best three cone drills uh, ever for a pass rusher at six seven zero. So if Pay comes anywhere close to a six three seven, I mean, that just tells you kind of what kind of athlete that he is. And he's just got a really interesting backstory. I mean, he, he grew up in the Liberian civil war. He was born in uh, Guinea. He immigrated to the U.S. when he was uh, just he was I think one year old. Um, and he comes from Rhode Island, which is not a football-crazy state. You don't see a lot of recruits coming out of Rhode Island. Former running back uh, who had really developed his body, moved to pass rusher. So he's still figuring out how to use his hands and do things. And so I, I think there's a, a, and there's a correlation there with uh, Jason Owe, who uh, another guy, basketball background, didn't start playing football until he transferred schools for basketball reasons as a junior the football coaches got one look at him and said, Hey, you're coming out to the football field. And he kind of hit the ground running and became this big time recruit. Uh, This was going to be a big year for him. I think with, um, you know, a chance to step up as a starter. He only has, he had five sacks last year coming off the bench. um, And, but he had a chance to be a starter this year, opposite uh, Shaka And uh, this is going to be his, his emergence, but without the season, he's still unproven. And so uh, I, he came in at number 15 overall on my board, and it's it's ranked entirely on potential uh, because we just don't have that body of work that you want to see uh, normally from a, a top 15 player. But he plays the right position; he's an edge rusher, and I, I think all the tools are there. It's just you know, can he live up to it? So 15 is pretty rich, and he's going to have an interesting decision to, to to make here because ideally you'd like to see him go back to school uh, and, and put more of a resume together, but. Uh, he's so talented that I still think he has a chance to be a first-round pick this year.
0: Two players I wanted to bring up to you, two of my favorites in this class, ranked 33 and 35 on your board. Chris Olave, Ohio State, who I think is the best route runner in this class, and also Asante Samuel Jr., who undersized... In every way. But you, after talking about length, after talking about you know, what you need at the cornerback position to excel, have him at 30, 35 on her board. So you must like what he brings to the table. Talk to me about those two prospects because I think both of those guys, though not top 32 players on your board right now, are fantastic and could very well sneak themselves uh, higher on your list.
2: Yeah, and I, I love Olave as well. I mean, I'm a Big Ten guy. I mean, that that's where I live. That's where I grew up. Uh, there is nothing better uh, in the fall than Big Ten football for me. And it just, that's why it's just been uh, a, a depressing time here the last uh, few weeks after the Big Ten's decision. But Olave is so much fun. Him and Fields uh, just had that natural connection. Um, and, he, you know, we saw Uh, The year before uh, with Dwayne Haskins, when he was a freshman, Uh, he took it to another level with fields last year and they were due for a a really big year uh, this season. That unfortunately won't happen. He's he's not the most physically impressive guy. He's six, one, maybe a buck 90. I don't know what he's going to run. I don't, he's not going to, you know, necessarily a blazer. So, you know, the physical traits are by NFL standards, average for the receiver position, but like what you said, he's able to win early because of his uh, his releases. His routes are outstanding. Uh, and then his hand technique to finish catches is, yes. is outstanding. He, he really understands that part of the position very well. It comes natural to him. He doesn't, doesn't have a lot of drops. He's, sometimes he'll use his body a little bit more than you want to see. But that's nitpicking because this guy is really impressive with the way he can track the football – focus, and and then use that hand technique to finish. So Chris Olave, I'm, I'm a big fan. And like I said before, this receiver class is another really impressive group. And Olave's probably going to be, uh, I, I think right now, talking to scouts around the league, he's in that second and third round conversation. So not really viewed as a first rounder. And without a season, um, I don't know that he's gonna, going to be able to get into that first round. And especially because he's probably not going to necessarily have a, a combine performance where he's just going to blow up. Um, So I I think Chris Olave could, if he could be had in the second round, I think it'd be tremendous value. Uh, And then Asante Samuel, who, yeah, just after we had that conversation about length and how important it is, uh, you know, Asante Samuel, he is the opposite. He's more of your, your 5'10", a buck 85 corner, a little undersized, but this guy gets his hands on the football. Uh, 15 passes defended last year. Uh, And I think there is a common theme in this, this draft with uh, corners and their, uh, former All-Pro uh, NFL dads and you know, talked about Patrick Sertain earlier. Uh, Asante Samuel now, uh, J.C. Horn from South Carolina uh, also made my top 50. His dad being Joe Horn, but Asante Samuel just like his dad, who you know they weren't the biggest guys, but their instincts, their anticipation skills, their their quickness, uh, be able to click and close, their drive, uh, just really really impressive. Uh, they trust their vision uh, above all, and I think that comes from his tape study. Uh, his, his coaches speak really highly of the way he works the way he prepares between the week um, uh, uh, between games during the week so he, he understands what the offense is trying to do gets a head start and he trusts what he sees and, and so he's able to be very confident decisive in what he does uh, and, and that shows up in the stat sheet and that shows up with uh, offenses trying to stay away from him so Asante Samuel Uh, you know we will see him this year uh, in the ACC so eager to see what he can do uh, with another year under his belt coming in as a true junior I think right now because of the size I have more in the second round range but we'll see if he can get up even higher all right Dan
1: one last question before we let you go here and it's the question that I get every single podcast and every single radio hit that I'm on and I hate it but who is this year's Joe Burrow (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, or, I, or any, or any position, who's a guy not on the radar right now that you could see having a meteoric rise towards top 10, top 15.
2: Yeah, I, I'll answer that a few different ways. Cause I, I think that let's just say, you know, cause there's, there's not going to be a Joe Burrow this year. I think we exactly. can agree on that, but if there somehow were at the quarterback position, I, I think there are two names that really stick out, uh, Kyle Trask, uh, from Florida. Um, I don't think he's on Joe Burrow's level by any means. But when you look at just his backstory and his journey, being a uh, – not playing in high school, being stuck uh, as the backup, and then uh, coming in last year as a first-year starter and kind of elevating that Florida offense a little bit, um, I, you think you know that's kind of like Joe Burrow. He was stuck on the bench at Ohio State, had an average first season at LSU, and then that second year when he got to be on the field, that's where it really took off for him. Well, maybe with Kyle Trask, it'll start to click even more for him. And because he hasn't played a lot of football uh, and he was so impressive uh, when he finally got on the field, maybe that second year at Florida, uh, this upcoming season, uh, will be kind of that year for him. And uh, he has some talent around him with Kyle Pitts and uh, some of these young uh, wide receivers that he has on that offense. So maybe Kyle Trask. Uh, Another quarterback that maybe could do it uh, would be Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, who I, I... Look out for Cincinnati this year. Uh, you know, with hopefully the, the college football season is able to have a full season. And, you know, the Big 12, ACC, SEC, they're going to be pushing for those four spots in the playoff. If Cincinnati is able to run through the AAC, you're not going to be able to keep them out of the playoffs. And if they are able to do that, it's because they have a really good defense. and It's because Desmond Ritter took that next step as a quarterback. And so I, I think that could be a situation where maybe he's not elevated to the number one pick but maybe Desmond Ritter makes a case for why he should be one of the first quarterbacks off the board. Um, you know, maybe that fourth guy after the top three talking about Lawrence and Lance and, and fields. So I, I think those two quarterbacks stand out. I if thought if if was going to go away from the quarterback position and uh, go somewhere else. I think I'd go, I'd say Jordan Davis, uh, the Georgia defensive tackle, six six three thirty. Uh, You know, it, not every class has a Quinn and Williams type of player where he just, Out of nowhere, kind of uh, the light bulb comes comes on at the right time and he shoots up draft boards throughout the season. Uh, You know, most draft classes don't have that. But maybe Jordan Davis can be that because the traits, the tools, the talent – it's just, it's all there. It's just he needs to put it together. He's like I said, six six three thirty, but he moves really well. He's strong. He's physical. Uh, he can rush the passer. He can stop the run. So I think Jordan Davis maybe could go from, and I I put him high. I mean, I Kirby Smart, if he had a chance to look at my top top fifty, I'm sure he hates to see Jordan Davis in there because he's still more potential than production at this point, but. All the talent is there. Wouldn't be surprised if we see him maybe move up a little bit uh, throughout the course of this season because he's just so talented.
0: I'm actually glad you brought up Desmond Ritter. In my first few years here in Cincinnati, I was covering the Bearcats as part of the few things that I did. And a tip on Desmond Ritter, I don't know if you know this, dude talks trash like more than anyone I've ever seen at the quarterback position. All his teammates talk about how much this guy talks trash, how much he likes to get into his opponent's head. And I know there's some quarterbacks with some edge, but this guy loves to dig into his teammates, dig into the opposing competition. So Desmond Ritter, in addition to having, I think, really good arm talent and has not been able to really thrive from a box score perspective because the receiving talent at Cincinnati has not been good, he he talks a ton of trash. Dane, this has been fantastic as usual. Again, like I said, an elite mind. In the space, joined on here on one Drafts. We'll have to get you back on as we get closer to the season or even in-season as we see this prospect list change and, and, and people go up boards. But thanks again for coming on, man. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Dane Bruegler, man, is such a stud. He's I, an I elite love. elite mind in space. I, I, he's an elite mind in space. I love how much he he, he dives into the backgrounds. He talks about, I think he talks about traits in a way that I can get behind. There's some guys that bring up traits first and foremost and covet is the only thing valuable, but I think how he talks about it and knowing what translates, I think what he says about length at the cornerback position, what he says about ball production as a secondary member is so
1: important. Every time we have him on the podcast, I become more and more impressed. Yeah, I'll say this about you know his take on length and basically physical tools when when you take the chances on guys who don't have that it it's easier to look good in college and especially you know in the TJ Carter case against guys who aren't going to play in the NFL when you don't have those physical tools like mm-hmm. it's easier to look good when you're going up against other guys who don't have those physical tools because once you get to the NFL Everyone has those, and it's going to be much more difficult for you to win because those give you such a leg up. Like it's so much if you run a six three seven three, Quady Pay, it's so much easier for you to rush the passer at the NFL level than a guy like, say, Quincy Rocher, who's a much much better pass rusher right now in terms of what he can do technically and skill wise. But that doesn't that only gets you so far at the NFL level. Whereas his Pay's job is going to be so easy if he really does have you know if he has physical tools like that. So I'm not. Like i I will take I'll take exceptions on guys I truly believe in, who are, I truly believe have you know, elite play and maybe don't have the physical tools, but you you don't make as many mistakes if you truly do say, "Hey, I'm not going to take my chances on these guys who don't have uh, these cutoffs." And that's why they exist.
0: All right, let's break into an article you dropped on PFF.com before we jump off the podcast here. The top 10 takeaways from PFF's preseason 2021 NFL Draft Guide. One of which, if you rate and review the podcast, we're sending 10 people a free draft guide. If you rate and review the podcast with a space symbol between, or no, a space between the at symbol, we'll make sure to get you on that list and send you one. Starting with number one, box score might not say it, but Justin Fields, has
1: far outperformed Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State in in nearly the same offense. Yeah, so I went into this kind of in May is when I started on the preseason draft guide in the 2021 draft class. And we talk about, you know, the the class, the upcoming class all the time and rookies. And I really don't watch underclassmen. Like sometimes you'll flash and you'll see him, but I really don't keep track of it. There's only so much space I have in my brain. And as you guys know, if you listen to this podcast, I forget names all the time. Like, there's, there's not enough already to go around. So I don't watch a lot of these guys. So I came in pretty much new, not knowing a lot about these guys, not knowing what to expect. And these were the 10 things that really stood out to me over the process of the summer of being like, damn, that's an interesting uh, thing about this upcoming class. And the fact that T- Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, same offense, probably has... Le- I don't want to say less receiving talent because obviously... Uh, Chris Olave's great. Garrett Wilson's great uh, at Ohio State. But he, Dwayne Haskins had Terry McLaurin and uh, Paris Campbell. Like, he had legit receiving talent. And even though Haskins put up a ton more yards, Justin Fields just, he played a lot better. Like, 92.4 passing grade for Fields, 84.9 for Haskins. And when you look at it, Haskins had over 500 more yards on screens last year. They were two years ago, excuse me, in that Ohio State offense than Fields did. 664 yards on screens, only 123 for Fields. He was throwing down the field. He was earning it with his arm. And yes, as we sort of said with Dane, uh, favorable offense for sure. But I think the way Fields executed it was just at a much higher level than the way Haskins did.
0: Couldn't agree more. Number two, the 2021 edge class has not produced an elite level yet. The only guy with an above 90 PFF pass rushing grade this past year is Boogie Basham from Wake Forest. Everyone else is... A ton of potential. You know, Quiddy Pay is the number one player or on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. We've said that probably fifty times now. Gregory Rousseau looks like he was built in a lab. Jason Owe has flashy plays on tape, but nothing consistent. All of these guys are you're talking about upside potential, these words, these buzzwords. But we're going to continue to talk about this through and through. I think Gregory Rousseau will eventually lock himself into that edge one, but edge two, edge three. It's going to be tough, especially with Jason Owe not suiting up in the Big Ten. There's so much potential that needs to be talked about and not enough production.
1: Yeah. I, the amount of guys who had, like, wow, physical traits was crazy to me. It, it, Owe, Pei, Rousseau, Josh Canendale from Florida State, even Xavier Thomas from Clemson that just have these plays where you're just like, damn, and Carlos Basham as well. N- no one besides Basham had a pass rushing grade over 82, though, the last year. So it's just from an R, you know, it, the way we approach this and with how much we believe the fact that being able to produce at college level is predict, you know, very predictive to the NFL, especially along the defensive line where, uh, you know, you get a lot of one-on-one interactions, you know, the similar thing to baseball where you're getting a lot of uh, information on a guy. Uh, we think it's very predictive. And so we, we need to see it with wise guys. And that's the thing that sucks. is like, we're just not going to see it with Mm -hmm. a handful of these guys knock on wood that we do. But, uh, Yeah, this edge class, far more potential right now, far more upside. Quotes, remarks than it is actual on-field production.
0: Number three, Alabama has two likely 2021 first-rounders that didn't even start in 2019, and Christian Barmore, who could have a uh, Quinton Williams-like rise this year playing on the interior for Alabama, and Jalen Waddell, a guy that we waxed poetic with Dane Brugler about a guy I really like in this class that could be even a better prospect than Henry Ruggs, who went 10th
1: in this past year's draft. Yeah, you want to know why Alabama is you know, fucking <laughs> Alabama? It's the fact that they can put... Guys who are these are going to be top fifteen picks. Like I will put a, I will bet good money right now that these two guys are top fifteen picks, and they were not starters last year for Alabama. Jalen Waddell and Christian Barmore. That's fucking abs- like that is absurd yeah. that a college program is that loaded at positions like wide receiver and defensive tackle that they can afford to let guys ride the pines. Uh, yeah, Alabama is ridiculous. Alabama is ridiculous. Should have just
0: been the takeaway <laughs> yeah. every year we're talking about. I mean, Patrick Hurtain was the number three player on Dame Brugler's board, and. Yeah. Him talking about him, it makes me want to go back to tape and see. I mean, he said he could run in the four fours. I didn't see that speed on there, but if he can, I, I thought he was more of a four fives type. Like that is a bi- the biggest difference between him and Trayvon Diggs. If he has legitimate top speed, yeah. that is huge. Like that is huge for his projection. Uh, number four, we've said this a ton, but you got to you got to put the stamp on it now. Penny Sewell, the Oregon offensive tackle, is unlike any tackle prospect we've seen.
1: Yeah, uh, the two biggest, and we've harped on this a lot but the two craziest things to me were one he started last year the beginning of last year he was 18 years old when he started the season uh he's still that is still insane Uh, he was 18 years old when he had the highest graded season we've ever given to an offensive tackle and the fact that he's 330 pounds those two when i found out both those things it just absolutely blew my mind after watching his tape because well, one, he's just so utterly dominant, and to do that at 18 years old is crazy. And two, the way he moves at 330 pounds, the dude is different for sure.
0: Coming down the list now, number five, Florida State's Corey Durden has the most pressures of any returning defensive tackle in the country, which is absurd. The first thing right here is who? I, didn't, who? I hadn't heard this. Corey Durden, goal. though, he played a ton, 721 snaps, 45 is, total pressure, better than his teammate that's getting hyped up as a top 50 player in Marvin Wilson. Well, Marvin Wilson got hurt. Also. Marvin Wilson got hurt, but also yeah. I think Durden... Motor and cleanup pressures on his tape a ton. Like, this guy's yeah. working to the quarterback consistently. Doesn't give up on the play. And that, honestly, leads to a ton of pressures for these guys. His tape is wild.
1: Like, <laughs> it's crazy to watch. If you haven't watched any of them, he's probably the most, you know, hashtag fun to watch defensive tackling in the country. Because it's just either awesome or awful. Yeah, like, yeah. Alternating. He's the Andre Cisco <laughs> of defensive tackles. He's just so up and down. And he has the physical tools. He's 6'5", got long arms. He can... He puts it all together. He has better physical tools than Marvin Wilson does, but man, uh, he needs another season. He might need two more seasons. He's redshirt junior. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't even declare for the draft if because he, he's just got a lot to clean up. But this is just a, it's a name to watch going mm-hmm. forward.
0: Number six, Travis Etienne's 2019 season was downright freaky. To add to that, I'm pretty sure since 2014, no running back has led the country enforcement tackles per attempt and yards after contact per attempt in the same season he, he did didn't. that yeah. and he averaged over 5 yards after contact this past year explosive Big hit, big, uh, you know, big play waiting to happen. The number one player on PFS board before he decided to come back to Clemson for whatever reason while yeah, playing what the running back. Fuck was he doing? I what? just, he better not get hurt, dude. Know, I'd man. be pissed if a Bryce Love situation happened and he gets hurt, know. Come, you know, and, and has never end up being the running back he could
1: be in the NFL. Which, by the way, Bryce Love apparently looks good in Canada. Oh, God. <laughs> well, oh, I could have boy. predicted that three years ago. Let's go. I mean, he's a monster. But yeah, ETN, the way he. <sighs> The way he just runs and how explosive he is. I mean, you saw it as a true freshman. I remember seeing one of his runs just be like, who the hell is that? And it was ETN. Uh, and I, I just, I can't believe he came back to school. Yeah. Like, it's the 32nd in rushing attempts and led the nation broke in tackles. That's, uh, he's just a monster.
0: Number seven, Georgia transfer, Jamie Newman, who college analyst here at PFF Anthony Trash loves. loves. Yeah. Was a completely different quarterback without wide receiver Sage Surratt at Wake Forest.
1: Three his four lowest game graded games came at Sage Surratt gets hurt four games after that. All four were his four lowest graded games of the season. I'm not sure if that both. I mean, that's obviously looks good for Sage Surratt like Surratt. He was a monster in contest catches last year, went 18 of 30. So he's going to be opting out. I, I don't think he had much more to prove other than just like that shoulder was healthy is probably why he didn't declare last season. Cause he averaged over a hundred yards a game, you know, at, Wake Forest, But Newman, he's got a lot to prove. And he's the guy who, I guess he is on radars, but he's the guy who I'd say, Dame Brewers, say Kyle Trask, I think he could make his way into a top 10, top 15 pick because he's very athletic. He adds that dual threat element to your offense and he's very accurate down the football field. It's a proven path to success in the NFL. But if he doesn't do it, if he it looks like that guy we saw down the stretch when he's at Georgia or doesn't even win that starting job at Georgia... And if he doesn't win the starring job at George well, that'd be insane. Yeah. I,
0: I don't think that's going to happen. TCU has one heck of a safety duo. We've talked about our Darius Washington, the pipsqueak that hits really. I think he hits well. It comes downhill well. Lowest was yeah. tackle rate among any safety in the Power Five this past year. Yeah, and and also Trayvon Morik, who's also graded super well at TCU. You obviously Both love our Darius Washington. Yeah.
1: go ahead and say that. Both made Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Yeah. Both also.
0: made. Bruce Feldman's freaks list both earned 90 plus overall grades this past year. I'm so glad the Big 12 is still playing in the fall because I want to watch these guys play again.
1: Yeah, I was, I came in and I saw the two that they're one and two the highest grade safeties. I was like, okay, there's like some schematic thing they did yeah. that was like different. That got no. These guys are both awesome. Like they're both very, they're both first round safety prospects. They're both that good at the position. There was no schematic element whatsoever. They were running, you know, the same thing Gary Patterson does every year. It's a lot of two high coverages. And they were just, they're damn good. And they made Bruce Feldman's freaks list. They're both very freaky athletes, different, different sizes. <laughs> uh, they're both on the opposite ends of the size spectrum with our Darius Washington being tiny, Morgue being your prototypical you know size, uh, speed sort of safety. But uh, I think both are just, like I said, I, both are legit first round prospects, which is like I said, it was crazy to me going in and watching them.
0: Number nine, and this is a colder take than you've had previously. It's yet another loaded wide receiver class. It's a better receiving class than yeah. this past year. Jamar Chase. I, I think it is. The consensus wide receiver one out of LSU. Rondell Moore, Purdue receiver that opted out, but had, like Dame Brugler said, one of the best, if not the best, true freshman season we've ever seen. Devonte Smith of Alabama, Waddle, Bateman, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Olave. The list goes on and on. And I didn't bring up Tutu Atwell, Terry for Florida State. Well, now you're
1: bringing them up. So you?
0: No, now I'm freaking bringing them up. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyway, th- this receiving class is absurd. I-, I agree with what Dane said in terms of like the battle for wide receiver two is going to be interesting. Yeah. But like, it almost doesn't matter. Like, there it's pick your poison. There's so much talent. There's so much speed. So much route running ability, athleticism in this class that like. I'm in love with the top six guys, top seven guys on yeah. this list.
1: Yeah, there's 11 guys who got top three round grades in the draft guide, um, and, and every year we see guys who weren't even on radars mm-hmm. like Brandon Ayuk last year, KJ Hamler, Devin Duvernay come out of nowhere and be top three round wide receivers. So that's 11 guys who are ready that high that I think that highly of, and you could even see more as the fall goes on. You know, knock on wood that there's football, but it's it's loaded. Number 10. Lastly, here and then we'll jump
0: off the pod here, but don't forget about Iowa State's Brock Purdy in this quarterback
1: class? Yeah. I came in thinking it would be like classic Big 12 offense, you know, like Mason Rudolph graded highly at Oklahoma State, but not a lot of that looked translatable to the NFL. And then watched Brock Purdy's tape, and I'm like, that was like a lot of NFL stuff. (laughs) And and not just a lot of NFL stuff, the way he managed game situations, the way he you know, was cognizant of down and distance and uh, what he could do outside of the pocket. He's got a lot of. He doesn't have a ton of NFL tools, but there's a lot to like about his tape. To where he's, he's currently at fifteenth yeah. on our draft board. Like, I think that highly of him as a quarterback prospect to be doing what he did as a sophomore. You know, true sophomore and as true freshman, I think there's something there. And with no NFL talent to speak of outside of a tight end around him. I think it's very impressive.
0: So. Uh, again, I'm so happy that Big 12 football is still going on in yes. the fall because I want to see more of Brock Purdy. I want to see more of these TCU safeties. I think there's talent in the Big 12. I need, more, need to see more tape of. That's going to do it for this episode of 2 4 Drafts. Remember to rate and review the podcast and leave your email with a space between the at symbol to get a chance to win a 2021 NFL Draft Guide that we dropped on PFF.com. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 4 Drafts.